Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every great magic trick consists of three acts. The first act is called The Riley and Jimmy Show. The Riley and Jimmy Show. Welcome to this episode number 1105. It is a Tuesday. If you're listening the day it is uploaded... Right next to me is... Jimmy! I got one name! Jimmy! Hello, everybody! Hello, everybody! Hi! Hi, I'm your host, Patrick Riley. I am the villain of the story. That's me, and the hero of this episode, and all the others before it is Kimmy. Hello, Kimmy. Hello. And are you getting rested up and ready for the big event that's happening on, uh, let's, uh, let's see, just a few days away on Sunday? Sunday, Sunday. That's right, Sunday. Sunday. January 8th. It's happening at the Volusia County Fairgrounds. That's the Deland Comic and Collectibles show. Are you all rested up for that? Yes, or, I'm or, getting there. Okay. I'm getting there. You're getting charged up, right? I'm trying. Yep. I mean, it may be just a one-day show, but it is a really big one-day show. Mm-hmm. And considering all the things that are going on and all the guests under one roof, it is amazing that the admission price is just a mere five. Five dollars. Five dollars. That's right. You I'm heard getting right. all choked up about it. Five dollars. Yeah, that's right. Five dollars. Free parking. Free parking. Free. This is fun for the entire family. Safe for all ages. A lot of fun going on there, including a big time personality, a big time celebrity from television. He is the voice of Space Ghost. George Lowe will be at the Deland Comic and Collectibles show. If you untie me, I will. Hi, kids. Space Ghost here. You're listening to Riley and Kimmy on the Riley and Kimmy show. Uh, Can you just loosen the hands up a little? Oh, that is heaven. Uh, We will untie him. He will be at the Deland Comic and Collectibles show. That is Sunday, January 8th, just a few days away. $5 to get in. Please, if you're in the area, come to this event cosplayers are welcome costumers and by the way if you're a collectible uh, person like me like vintage toys lunch boxes uh gi joes mego figures things like that this is the place to go to mm-hmm. and comic books too yes tom ralph of pop culture playground will be there with vintage comic books for you the silver age modern age bronze age might even have some magazines and things like you know cracked and mad and things like that so there's plenty of that available for you also, there will be local comic book shops there with new product as well. You'll find your pop vinyls and things like that as well. And get this, some great artists will be there. John Beatty, known for his work on Batman. Also, Captain America. Also, The Punisher. And Marvel's Secret Wars will be there. He will be sketching, but I urge you to get there early because... He really puts love into his work. Even though he calls some of these speed sketches or faster sketches, he takes a little bit of time to them. It's mm-hmm. it's not like he just you know scribbles something on paper and goes, oh, there, that's Batman. No, it's beautiful work. And if you have an opportunity to get something from John, please take that chance. We'll make a fantastic gift, possibly even a Valentine's gift for somebody. Yeah. It could be. Uh, it, it'd be great, great uh, birthday gift. 
and you can meet John and also have your books signed. And if you have a question about comic books, he can give you some answers. He's my my historian in the world of comics. Somebody who is working in DC and Marvel as well. His work is just gorgeous. That is Clay Mann. We'll be there too. Get your get your opportunity to get well, this is your opportunity to get something signed from Clay Mann. And then another fantastic artist will be there. Tommy Castillo. Yes, stop by, meet Tommy. He's there as well. And local artists with prints and sketching and things going on all under one roof with all this other fun. Collectibles gaming, too. It's all happening. That is Sunday, January 8th. If you have a friend who lives in Florida, maybe you don't, uh, tell them about this event. It's conveniently located right between Daytona Beach and Orlando. Very easy to get to right off I-4. Mm-hmm. Very easy. Yes. And by the way, Phantasmagoria Orlando will be there entertaining throughout the day, having some fire performances, dancing, things like that. You will want to check them out. To me, this is something I really look forward to. So many friends of the Riley and Kimmy show are there, including John Diadonna of Phantasmagoria, Dion as well, who's part of Phantasmagoria, Mm -hmm. um, Katie Roberts and Terry Moore of Outdated Slang. You can meet them. They're the ones who sing our jingle at the opening of the Riley and Kimmy shows. That's right. Uh, they're there as well. And uh, an author who I, I, I look forward to meeting him in person for the very first time. I had the honor of talking to him and interviewing him recently. That is Jeff Dixon will be there. Jeff has written a fantasy series based actually happening at Walt Disney World. And he loves Disney. So if you like Disney yeah, this is somebody to check out. By the way, you can check out that previous interview we have with Jeff. It's available on our website and social media. That is podcast number 1095. A lot of fun. It's happening at the DeLand Comic and Collectible Show. That's Sunday, just a few days away, January 8th. Be sure to check out their Facebook page and stuff like that and, and uh, tell your friends about it. Really help this show grow. We'd love to see a lot more people there uh, because they've expanded. They got yes. more room. They, yes. So let's fill it up, right? Mm-hmm. So tell your friends about the Deland Comic and Collectible Show. Now, Kimmy, coming around the uh, corner, if you will, we'll be making an appearance with our our brand new mascot. Yeah. Our brand new mascot is scheduled to make a couple of appearances in January in Florida. But right now, we're looking for somebody to help us. We're looking for you to help us name the mascot. I said, now let's play a game. The name game. Yes, we're looking for a name of the mascot. You can check out the mascot. We have uh, videos posted. They're available on our Facebook page, other social media, also our website at RileyandKimmy.com. And coming up at the end of the month, a couple of locations, the mascot will be making its debut. Can't wait. Can you, Kimmy? No, I can't wait. This is a dancing mascot, yeah. too. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Uh, looks quite fun. Uh-huh. And get your picture with the mascot, too. Yes. And that'll be happening. By the way, that is actually part of our other program called Animal Special, where we talk about animals, pets, wildlife, things like that, birds, dogs, cats, rabbits, you name it, we, we talk about it. And we are available for appearances and things that are animal-related. Just contact us on either Facebook page or through our website. And we are also available with the Riley and Kimmy Show. If you have an upcoming pop culture event, let us know. You can contact us via Facebook, or through our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Kimmy, are you ready to play Nerd and Pop Culture Geek Trivia on this Tuesday? Yeah. Yes, it's a Tuesday, January 3rd. We're ready to play Nerd and Pop Culture Geek Trivia. And Kimmy, here we go. 
we're going to ask you some questions. They've been jumbled up. The timeline is not in chronological order. It is not linear. It is all over the place. Feel free to shout out some answers to Kimmy. We believe in the time travel kind of thing, like a, a wormhole happening where the answers will come to her. So let's give her an opportunity, a chance to do quite well with nerd and pop culture geek trivia. And Kimmy, moving to that almanac of questions. It was on this date. Now, we will give you a 10-year buffer. The first known use of the word automobile was seen in an editorial in the New York Times. Give me the year. 1910. How many years did I say? 10. Oh, boy. 20? 50. Yeah, that's right. Give me, I think I said, I think I said 11 years. It was 1899. The first known use of the word automobile was seen in the editorial in the New York Times. It was on this date, Kimmy. Let's see if you can do this one. The first flip phone, the Motorola StarTac, goes on sale. The first flip phone, cellular phone, within 10 years. What year? 1994. You got it very close. 1996 is when that happened. Hmm. The flip phone, which was inspired by uh, the uh, Star Trek, the uh, communicator. That's correct. The Star Trek communicator from the original series. That is what inspired that. After hosting the show for over 30 years, he gives up hosting duties of American Top 40. Tell me who that is. Mm, Casey Kasem. That's right. right. Casey Kasem. Okay, give me the year within five that he gives the hosting duties to somebody else 2010 you got it within five well no you got it i should have said six it was 2004 that that happened and who took over the role who had ryan seacrest how did you know that i don't know now you and i grew up with casey Kasem. yes he's the voice of robin and and shaggy and so many other things correct And we also grew up with American Top 40. Yeah. I played American Top 40 in one station for a period of, not a long period of time, but on Sundays when I had to cover somebody, I would run the disc of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was very, very young. So American Top 40, Casey Kasem's have been part of my world. Mm-hmm. And yours, you're the one who used to write down the songs, right? What they were in position, right? Yeah. On, on Sundays. And you kept like a little notebook. Well, at the... End of the year. That, oh, was, that was my big New Year's Eve. It wasn't every Sunday. New Year's Day or whatever, whenever they ran it. It, it wasn't every Sunday that you wrote them down. No. I find it kind of interesting. Did they, in your market, in your city, did they run the, did they have like the list of the Casey Kasem top 40 list and have it available at a sponsor the following day? No, I don't. Radio station I was I part I know of, of with this. They they were actually smart with this. They would do they would because they didn't rerun it. What they would do is say, you know, after the show ran, they go, be sure to stop by X Y Z Records and blah 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 and pick up the list if you missed it and mm. see where things were. And they had mm. that sponsorship going. That's smart. Yeah, it was kind of smart. But my point, what I was going to get to now is, do you think it's creepy that some radio stations run Casey Kasem countdowns of American Top Forty? No. Does that bother you at all? The, where they actually have him hosting them from the 1970s and no, you, you, that isn't you. You, you don't no, think that, that's let, nostalgia. Okay, just kind of curious. Thought that was creepy or not? Moving over to something else from the Almanac. It was on this date, 1496. References in Leonardo da Vinci's notebook suggest that he test flied 
Yeah, he went on a test flight, his flying machine. Now, the test didn't uh, succeed, and he didn't try to fly again for several years. Now, that device is very similar, Kimmy, to the one one of your good friends cosplays as one of the steampunk mm. individuals uh, that, you know, you know, Thomas Blasco mm-hmm. does. Fantastic. A bat tech cosplay. You can check him out on Facebook. Mm-hmm. One of the best cosplayers I've ever seen. And also that Da Vinci creation inspired the original Batman. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of really a cool thing. 1496. I think maybe they dealt with that. Matter of fact, I know they did on Star Trek Voyager a little bit because that's one of the holodeck uh, programs the captain hangs out in, and that is his his workshop, Da Vinci's. Mm. I think... They, were, they dealt with that on one of the episodes. Pay attention, Kimmy. It was on this date. The drinking straw was patented. Tell me the year within 20 years that that happened. Oh. 1920. Kimmy, I will give you an opportunity here if you want to put that at risk. Was it the 18th century? 19th century or 20th century? Oh. Let's go with the 19th century. You're saying the 19th century. Mm-hmm. The 1800s. Mm-hmm. 1888, the drinking straw was patented. Woo! Woo! <laughs> there you go. Yes, 18... Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, sure you did. 1888. 1888, that's yeah, what I meant. 1888. It was 19... 19- 38, the first broadcast of Woman in White was presented on NBC Network. The program remained on the air for 10 years. It is a soap opera. Mm. We will not be playing an example of Woman in White. It was on this date, 1947, U.S. congressional proceedings were televised for the first time. Viewers in Washington, Philadelphia, and New York City were able to see the opening ceremonies of the 80th Congress. It was 1947 in Trenton, New Jersey. Al Heron passed away at the age of 92. You're going to say, so what? Well, he claims that he had never slept a day in his entire life. Wow. He never slept at all. Just like you. He never slept at all. That's impossible. He claims he never, well, you you could go to the point where he could go probably into REM pretty fast and be awake with his eyes open, you know, eyes open, but sleeping, going into that quick REM. He may mm. not even been aware of it. Yeah. That's possible. Because I, I believe that's impossible for somebody to live without sleeping. Without sleeping. Ever. But if he went into that REM stage, maybe, I don't know, not, maybe, you know, I sleep very little. That mm-hmm. That is true. But he made the claim, and he was 92, that that was the case. Hmm. It was on this date, 1951. This TV show made its debut, Kimmy. But it was famous on radio before it went to television. Identify the TV show, and even the old-time radio show, with this audio clue. You're a cop, a flatfoot, a bull, a dick, John Law. You're the fuzz, the heat, you're poison, you're trouble, you're bad news. (laughs) <laughs> Tell me the name of that TV show. Dragnet. That's correct. 1951. NBC TV debuted Dragnet. And those earlier versions are, they they are more edgy. Uh, the radio ones were definitely edgier. They're not like the television show, you know, of the 1960s. MeTV occasionally runs Dragnet. They run of the 60s, 67 through 1970 that they run. Those are, I don't want to say lighthearted, but they're just, they're not as edgy. More film noir versions are the television and the old time radio versions. 
um, just more hardcore detective-oriented things. They're, they're worth checking out. It was on this date, 1957, this recording artist recorded this song, Kimmy. Tell me who he is. I'm walking, yeah, the I'm talking, you and me, I'm hoping that you come back to me. New Generation discovered that song from American Graffiti. You will find it on the soundtrack and also in the movie. Tell me who the hit artist is. I don't know. That's Domino, 1957. I'm walking. It was 1957 as well. The Hamilton Watch Company introduced the first electric watch. It was 1959 in the United States. This became the 49th state. Identify. Alaska. That is correct, Kimmy, 1959. It was 1964 the Beatles made their first appearance on US TV. It was a film clip shown on the Jack Parr show. It was a performance of the song She Loves You. 1967, this show had a little bit of trimming done. Identify the show, Kimmy. Late. Uh, that would be The Tonight Show. That's right. The Tonight Show is shortened from 105 to 90 minutes. Mm. Then eventually it would be shortened down to one hour. Mm -hmm. 1967. It was also 1967. Carl Wilson refuses to be sworn in after receiving a U.S. Army draft notice. He said he was a conscientious objector. Carl Wilson was part of what rock group? The Beach Boys. That's correct. 1970. Davy Jones announces he's leaving what group? What pop group? The Monkees. That's right. 1970. I, me, mine was recorded by this group. It was the last song for the band that they would record together. The year, 1970. Name the supergroup. I don't know. I, Me, Mine was the last song recorded by the Beatles. Mm. Do you have... Well, you might have I, Me, Mine. I don't know that song. Okay, I, Me, Mine. It was 1973. The Columbia Broadcasting System, otherwise known as CBS, sold the New York Yankees, Kimmy. Yeah. They owned the New York Yankees. They sold the New York Yankees to a 12-man syndicate headed by George Steinbrenner for just $10 million. Really? Some reports 12, but let's just say 10 to $12 million. Sounds cheap. Yeah, it does. Even in 1973 dollars, doesn't it? Yeah. 1977, Apple Computers, Inc. is happening. It's incorporated. 1983, Tony Dorsett made the longest run from scrimmage in NFL history. Dorsett ran 99 yards in a game against the Minnesota Vikings. Tell me the team he played for. Who's it? Tony Dorsett. Don't know. Dallas Cowboys. Nah, I was going to guess that, too. Sure you were. I Mo- was. Moving over to something else. you got to pay attention when they yell at you, okay? When the people are yelling. I know it. All right. It was on this date, Kimmy. The United States Post Office raised the price of the first-class stamp to 32 cents within five years. When did that happen? 82? 1995. Wow. Give me the year within five. Bryant Gumbel signs off for the last time as a host of NBC's Today Show. 2002? 1997. What? 1997. Bryant Gumbel signs off for the last time as host of NBC's... Oh, as host. Remember, he would go to another network after 1997. Oh. Yeah. 
1997 that happened. Oh, okay. Moving over to something else on the Almanac. It was on this date, Charles Schultz's final, original, daily comic strip appears in newspapers. Think carefully, Kimmy. What is the year the final, original, Peanuts comic strip by Schultz appears in newspapers? Uh, right around the year 2000? That's correct. 2000s when that happened. He would pass shortly after uh, stepping away from Peanuts. It's on this date, Kimmy. Craig Ferguson becomes the host of the late, late show on CBS. Yes, he and Jeff together. Give me the year that that happened within five. 2010? Within five, you got it. 2005, Craig Ferguson became host of the Late Late Show on CBS. He was on for a long time before uh, CBS moved on oh, with him. Okay. It was a long time before you actually uh, discovered him. Okay. 2004, NASA's Spirit Rover landed on Mars. The craft was able to send back black and white images three hours after landing. Moving over to birthdays, Kimmy. Thank you, read his work. I know you've seen his work on film. This individual was born on this date in history, 1892, died 1973 at the age of 81. He's best known as the author of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Can you tell me who he is? J.R. Tolkien. That is correct. Another person born on this date in history, Marion Davies. Born 1897, died at the age of 64 in 1961. She was an American film actress. Now, Davies is better remembered today as a, well as the newspaper tycoon William Randolph Hearst's mistress. He really harmed her career by most historians because he started trying to get her into films that she was not, it wasn't her, her, her style that he was trying to get her into. And he actually damaged her career. He mm. tried to force people to put her into films and things, and they eventually just wanted to stay away from her. Now, in the film Citizen Kane in 1941, the title character's second wife, an untalented singer whom he tries to promote, was widely assumed to be based on Davies. Moving over to somebody else having a birthday today, Ray Milan, actor, 1905, born, died at the age of 79 in 1986. Actor and director, his screen career ran from 1929 to 1985. Now, one of the movies I know him for, I actually know, I love Ray Milan going way back to many things. But one of the movies that nerds and geeks know him for, and I'm curious if you ever saw, did you ever see The Man with the X-Ray Eyes? No. August 14th, notes an experiment, designated X. Experimental subject, myself, James Xavier. X, the most fantastic experiment you have ever taken part in, presents Raymond Land in his most challenging role since his Academy Award-winning Lost Weekend. X, the man with the X-ray eyes. Are you all right? Splitting of the world. More light than I've ever seen. Filled with light. X, the man with the X-ray eyes, tries to help the most desperate in our society and enjoys all the delights of secretly studying sexology. Headache? No, it's just my eyes. Doctor with the power to see what others cannot believe. He can overcome the unknown. 
save lives, and invade the glamour gambling casinos of Las Vegas and defy the goddess of chance. Don't draw. Don't draw. Next card's a face card. Harry, you better go for the sheriff right now. Yeah, X, the man with X-ray eyes, uh, done by, directed by, created by Roger Corman, who did tons of films at low budget, shot in a mere three weeks on a budget under $300,000. Also, they did a comic book version of it, 1963, you might be able to find, Gold Key, X, the man with X-ray eyes. You've never seen that? I like the way he says, eyes. <laughs> You've never seen with that? the X-ray, eyes. Yeah, you, you never you never saw. Uh, I don't think so. It, it, it's it, it's interesting because they had a very low budget. They were able to convince you he's able to see through things. And the one scene, you know, he's walking around a party and there's naked people. But it's, it's so it's not their skeletons. It's, he eventually it's their... goes to that level. He can control. Oh, so see, it, he can control it for a while. So it gets worse. He, it, I mean, it gets stronger. Well, yeah, he can control it for a little bit. Like he does surgeries and can see things deep, you know, oh. but then he starts losing control and it becomes more powerful mm-hmm. and he can't even close his eyes anymore because it goes through his eyelids. He's constantly. Bu- and then he's going around with these giant sunglasses, you know, like the, the old people sunglasses. Uh-huh. But even like the biggest pair of those you've ever seen by two. It, I mean, they're huge. And he walks into the gambling casinos wearing those. That's not suspicious. <laughs> he's got these, it looks like he's he's got, you know, a virtual reality on his head. Mm. That's how thick they are. And uh, it's just, it, it's a trip. It's amazing. An Academy Award winning actor did this at the time period, this role. Now, something else to check him out in is a movie that's not talked about very much because there's very little talk in the movie. It's not a silent film. The film is called The Thief. Now, it's a 1952 American film noir crime film starring Ray Milland. Now, the film is unusual because there's no principal actor dialogue spoken. He does not speak a line. Hmm. And he is working on stealing something for another government. And it is interesting just from watching how they were able to pull this off. There's sound. There's just no exchange. And if I remember the very end scene where he does get, I'm not trying to spoil it, but where he gets arrested, they just flash their ID as government agents to him. And you know it's over. Mm. You know, like he lowers his head because he got cut. It's it's worth checking out. Now, I have not seen any of the current uh, retro TV shows or stations that we check out with movies like Movies Network. I haven't seen them run it, but if you do catch that, The Thief, 1952, I say really check that out. Now, Victor Borga, born on this date, Kimmy, 1909, died in almost see the age of uh, 91 in 2000. Do you remember him? He was a comedian, conductor, and pianist. Do you remember his performances at all? Mm-mm. You don't remember him like on Electric Company or Sesame Street? Punctuation marks can be very confusing. And that is why I have invented a way by which we can hear punctuation marks as well as see them. And here's how it works. A period sounds like this. An exclamation point is a straight line with a period underneath. And here is a comma. Quotation marks are two commas. Or if you happen to be left-handed... Question mark is rather difficult. I have a book here, and I'm going to read a chapter from a story to you so you can hear how it sounds when this system is being used. 
Once upon a time, a prince was riding through the woods. Suddenly, he saw a terrible dragon. Kimmy, do you remember this? No. <laughs> you don't remember that at all? No. I, I do because uh, I, you know, I love sound effects and things like that as a child. And so once I was exposed to that, you would hear that entire routine. And there, there's oh, actually a longer God. version. I would entertain anybody who would listen. Matter of fact, I remember in a very early, because I was a kid designated to read stories in school. I decided to read it that way once. That went over quite well. Kids liked it. I don't, I think the teacher had the look that you had just a few seconds ago. I wish we were shooting a video of this episode. You were you were in shock of that. Oh, boy. <laughs> Victor Borga, born on this Thanks date. Thanks for sharing. 1909. Well, that's what the Riley and Kimmy show is about. We offer unique things here with this variety talk show. Things you don't hear anywhere else. Yeah. We get you way away. Okay. Way, 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 I mean, way, way. Away. And if you'd like us to read to you like that at the Deland Comic Collectible Show, Kimmy will be more than happy to do that, right? Okay. No. That won't go over well. All right, Kimmy, see if you can <laughs> identify who this person is, this notable having a birthday today, born 1930, died 2015 at the age of 85, known for the movie Independence Day in 1996, but really known by you for playing the role of Mr. Eddie in Lost Highway in 1997. Oh. Who is he, the man with a very unique voice? Robert Lugosia. That's correct. Robert Lugosia, born on this date, 1930. Dabney Coleman, born on this date, starred in The Towering Inferno in 1974, 95, 1980. Cloak and Dagger, 1984. Beverly Hillbillies movie, 1993, and just a list of other things. Kimmy, tell me how old he is within five years. Oh, 75. He is 85 years old today. Somebody known for television, so many TV shows, possibly those that you liked or disliked, he was part of as a writer and or creator producer. 1937 saw the birth of Glenn A. Larson. You'll see his name on just about you know, like Rockford Files. He, he wrote episodes of the Rockford Files. Matter of fact, James Garner and he would clash. James Garner did not like him because he considered the stories he was using, he was borrowing from other places. Mm. He didn't think they were original. Matter of fact, he hit him on set. That, really? That's documented. He punched him. Wow. Did not like him at all. Hmm. Now, he was born on this date, died at the age of 77 in 2014. He was an American television producer and writer, best known as the creator of the television series Alias Smith and Jones, Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, Quincy M.E., The Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew Mysteries, B.J. and the Bear, The Fall Guy, Magnum P.I., Knight Rider, just to name a few. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a tons of others uh, that, you know... His fingers were part of. Now, noted sci-fi writer Harlan Ellison once referred to him as Glenn Larceny for the notorious similarities between Larson's creations and cinema blockbusters. For example, Alias Smith and Jones was taken from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. McCloud, remember McCloud? That was one of his two that he was part of. From Coogan's Bluff, that starred Clint Eastwood, which was a, a movie. Uh, let's see, Battlestar Galactica from Star Wars, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century from the comic strip and radio series, BJ and the Bear from Every Which Way But Loose, Clint Eastwood thing, Auto Man from Tron, and The Fall Guy from Hooper, which you might remember the Burt Reynolds film, Hooper. So he was like, there's nothing original here. Hmm. <laughs> but he did influence TV a lot. Hmm. Okay. Yes. 
Moving over to this actress having a birthday today, Kimmy. She is known for a certain TV show. Can you identify the TV show? Dallas. That's right. She's known for playing Pamela Barnes Ewing on Dallas. Victoria Principal. Yes, Victoria Principal. Having a birthday today, how old is Victoria Principal within five years, Kimmy? 55. Victoria Principal celebrating her 67th birthday Ooh. today. Okay. She was my favorite on Dallas. Mm-hmm. Outside, favorite female character on Dallas. Yes. I like J.R. He was my, mm-hmm. my favorite male character. Yeah, she was prettier than he is. That had nothing to do with it. I did not grab an Us magazine just because she was on the cover Sure. When I was a kid, I had I did not have a Victoria Principal poster. Sure. No. Mm-hmm. Not I. No. Sure. I, I know. No. No. That had no, no. This person having a birthday today, Stephen Stills, having a birthday, musician best known for his work with Buffalo Springfield, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. How old is he? Kimmy, within five. Who's that? Stephen Stills. Stephen Stills. Ah. Oh. Five within five. Eighty. He is 72 today. John Paul Jones celebrating a birthday best known as bassist, keyboardist, and co-singer for Led Zeppelin is, I'm not going to ask you, 71 today. This actor having a birthday best known for Lethal Weapons film series and the first three films in the Mad Max action series and a ton of other films. Tell me who he is. Mel Gibson. Yes. How old is Mel Gibson today? Uh, Five-year buffer. 63. He is 61 today. Danica McKellar having a birthday today. You know her as Kevin Arnold's girlfriend, Winnie Cooper, in the TV series The Wonder Years. How old is she within five? 35. She is 42 years old today. Wow. Did you watch The Wonder Years? Not really. Uh, neither neither did I. Moving over to another part of the almanac. I see dead people. Deaths on this date, notables. 1967 saw the passing of this person. He killed Lee Harvey Oswald. Can you tell me? who that is. Jack Ruby. That's right. Jack Ruby died on this date. He died of a pulmonary embolism at the age of 55. Moving over to another who passed on this date, actor Pat Hingle died 2009. He was an actor who played in so many things. Unfortunately, I think he's almost forgotten. Now, he played Commissioner Gordon, my, I think, favorite Commissioner Gordon, actually, Mm. so far. Yeah, he played in the 1989 Batman film and its three sequels. In 1959, while playing J.B. on Broadway... He was offered the title role of the 1960 film Elmer Gantry, Kimmy. But he lost it to Burt Lancaster because he, Pat Hingle, had a near-fatal accident. He was trapped in an elevator at his West End Avenue apartment building in Manhattan. That's when it stalled between the second and third floors. He did something you should not do. Pat Hingle crawled out of the elevator car tried to reach the second floor corridor, but lost his balance and fell 54 feet down the shaft. He fractured his skull, wrist, hip, and most of the ribs on his left side. He broke his left leg in three places and lost the little finger on his left hand. He lay near death for two weeks. What? Yes, and his recovery required more than a year. No way. way. I didn't know that. Yes. He would two weeks. He he is a fantastic actor, but person too. When you think about 
he had a will to live. Yeah. I mean, a strong will to live. You yeah. Will, you will see him in the old episodes of Gunsmoke, though, actually towards the end of the years, when he replaces Doc Adams, because uh, the actor who played Doc Adams uh, was ill. He covered that for a bit. He he appeared in so many things. One of the things that really stands out is a Twilight Zone episode as Horace Ford. The episode's The Incredible World of Horace Ford. It's where a guy who actually goes back in time, he creates toys. He's a toy designer, but he happens to visit his old neighborhood and it takes him back in time. It's a really trippy Twilight Zone episode. Hmm. That is Pat Hingle. And okay. he and he can really play uh, bad. Uh, the movie Grifters. Oh, he he's the only thing I like in that movie. He, he is, was in that? Oh, yes. He's the bad oh. man. He's the one who, uh, yeah, uh, just a scene with oranges is all I'm going to say in a sack. That's Gosh, I, I don't remember. Oh, he is vicious in that thing. I mean, cold-blooded and, yeah, he, he's, he was quite vicious. That is Pat Hingle who passed away on this date in history. Now, Kimmy, I think we will honor something on the golden age of radio from something from this almanac today. Radio was That's O'Reilly and Kimmy show. We'll go back in time and honor Ray Milland today. And, you know, because we mentioned Ray Milland, because we mentioned Ray Milland just a few moments ago, we'll go back in time to a couple of episodes in the suspenseful world of the golden age of radio he was part of. By the way, he had a rich radio history as well. He did so many programs. We've chosen just a couple of here. The first one is Night Cry from 1948, followed by After the Movies from 1950. Both of them star Ray Milland. You will hear these uninterrupted. So let's go back in time to the very first one with Ray Milland. That's Night Cry from 1948 on the Riley and Kimmy Show. Suspense. Radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Starring tonight, Mr. Ray Milland in Anton Leder's production of Night Cry by William L. Stewart, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Report to the captain of the Homicide Bureau, Manhattan, from Detective Lieutenant Mark Deglin. You know, we always say that the cat waits for the mouse to run, the dog waits for the cat to run, and the police wait for the killer to run. But if he's a smart killer, a real smart guy, if he doesn't run at all but just stands and laughs, or even walks quietly and easily away, he can really get away with murder. There's a lot of murder around Homicide Squad beside the stiffs we work on. Like the knifing I got when they passed me up and made you, Lieutenant Knight, an acting captain and head of the squad. Funny how a little promotion goes to a guy's head. It was Friday that you got your promotion, and that evening, after you'd sent for me, I had to warm a chair outside until you were ready to see me. Remember? Captain Knight will see you now, Lieutenant. Well, that's sweet of him. Over and have a chair, Declan. Uh, Mark? Sure. Why not? 
Congratulations, Captain Knight. Uh, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, Mark. You know, I didn't want this. I didn't do anything to get it. Sure. Of course, playing golf with the commissioner's brother-in-law had nothing to do with it. You know it didn't, Mark. The force isn't run that way. Now, look, I've worked with you for a long time, and there's no reason why we can't get along fine. Sure, no reason. I'm the first to say that you're the best man on homicide, Mark. And, well, it's not my place to tell you, but I think you ought to know the reason why you didn't get the promotion instead of me. I'm listening. You know, Mark, the police department has come a long way from what it used to be. Now, take homicide. It's no longer a question of one man going out and sapping some poor devil until he gets a confession. All of us, detectives, identification, lab men, telegraph, the medical examiner's office, we're all one big team. You know, that sounds like the commissioner's number two speech for the Rotarians. But it's true, Mark. And that's why the police board didn't give you this job. In an age of cooperation, you're still a one-man force. How many killers did I bring in during the last five years? Everyone you went after. I know that, and so does the police board. But a lot of them had marks on them that they didn't have before you went after them. And some of them had to be carried in. Sure, but I got them, and quick. Some of them I even had booked before that team you mentioned got around to deciding what killed the victim. I know that, but there's always a chance that the next time you'll bring in some guy who had nothing to do with it. Yes? He's on his way. It's a call. Now, you and Riley will take it. Now, look, Mark. Yeah? Riley's a good teammate for you. He's proud of the force, you know, and he'll be just as proud of your work as his own. And we'll talk about this later. Sure. After I bring in another killer. Where's the killing, Riley? In the 70s, near Riverside, gambling joint. Some guy rolled a seven the wrong way? Yeah, could be. Uh, say, uh, Mark, I was sorry to hear about ah, the... Ah, forget uh... about it, Dan. If I'd wanted a desk job, I wouldn't be a cop. I'd rather bring them in than look at them after they brought in. Come on, let's go. And for a minute, I didn't mind not getting the captaincy. There was something about being on a job, about starting out to look for a killer that beat anything in the world. We got to the big brownstone that was the gambling joint. Riley and I walked up the front stairs through the rain. The patrolman on the door let us in. There were three guys in the foyer. One of them was a good-looking guy in a dinner jacket with a look in his eye that probably came from watching a lot of guys try to make a four the hard way. The second was a patrolman still writing in his notebook. And the third was a guy on the floor, dead. He was partly on his side and there was a knife in his back. He was wearing a suit that had cost plenty before he spoiled it by bleeding all over it. The patrolman saluted as we came up. Corcoran, sir, the doorman called me off the beat. The dead man's name is L.O. Morrison. Uh, Mr. Carlstrom here is the owner of the club, and he says... Save it, Cork, until we ask for it. Yes, sir. What do you think, Riley? Mm, he's dead, all right. Well, take another look at that stiff. Hmm? He's got a fresh cut over one eye, which he must have gotten before he was killed. Yeah, you're right. He wouldn't be that bruised if he got it when he was killed. Well, let's find out how he got it. All right, you. Yes, Inspector? Not Inspector, Lieutenant. Lieutenant Deglin. Oh, yes, I've heard of you, Lieutenant Deglin. Well, stick around and get some first-hand knowledge. What kind of a joint is this? Well, this is a private club. The members have their own keys and let themselves. Oh, a key club, huh? Yes, that's right. Who'd the dead man have a fight with? Well, 
I don't like to say this, but he had a fight with Kendall Payne. I asked Mr. Payne to leave. Kendall Payne? Uh, isn't that the guy who was a war hero? Yes, that's right. War hero, huh? And he's still fighting the war. Well, having a key could come back after you threw him out. Yes, he could have come back. Was he alone? No, uh, Miss Morgan Taylor was with him. Where does Payne live? Well, I... Uh, here's his address book, Lieutenant. Payne is in here. Thanks. Okay, Dan, you can finish up here. I think I'll look up this war hero. Uh, Mark, don't you think you ought to wait for the medical examiner and the ID boys to arrive? Why? I don't need the ME to tell me this guy is dead, no identification to tell me he had a fight with Payne. This murder's tailor-made, and I'm going down and try Payne on for size. <laughs> a short street just off the Hudson River where a lot of artists and duck wallopers lived. There was a dim light in the hall and I went up the stairs. Light spilled out from under the door that had Payne's name on it and I knocked. All right, it's open. He was sitting on the bed. He had an army kit bag open and partly packed. There was a white bandage over his right eye and the drawers of the bureau were open. Now, what do you want? Little talk. Your name Payne? Yeah, but you're not anyone I know. Beat it. We'll get acquainted. This uh, badge will introduce us. You know what you can do with that badge. You know, I almost forgot you were a hero. How long you been here, hero? Maybe an hour. Now go on, get out. How'd you get to be a hero, Payne? With a knife? Look, I don't know you or your badge. Now go on, get out. You're a tough little punk, aren't you, hero? Especially tough for a boy who just killed a man. What? What are you talking about? Where's the dame you're with? Maybe she can tell you about the guy you had a fight with, then went back and killed. Look, you keep her out of it. Look, Sonny, you were maybe tough overseas, but back here you're just another meatball. Now talk. What are you, a tough cop? Well, let's see. How tough? Sure, I'm a tough cop. I hit him three times. No more than that. And fell. Head hitting the edge of the bed, then he slumped to the floor. His breathing was heavy for a minute, and then it... And it stopped. I stood looking at him, rubbing my knuckles. Then I reached down and felt his wrist. He was dead. Well, there was another trial the taxpayers wouldn't have to pay for. I got up, went to the phone I'd seen in the hall. Deglin here. Look, I just... Oh, uh, uh... wait a minute, Mark. Hey, close that door, will you? Now that the case is broken, Mark, they're talking their heads off. Case is broken? Yeah, it was Carlstrom. He got panicky and started to run. You know, Riley, when they run, he shoots. He nailed him in the shoulder, and Carlstrom thought he was going to die and confessed. The dead man was into the gambling house for 50 grand and wouldn't pay, so Carlstrom stuck the knife into him. Hello? You still on? Yeah. I, I, I just dropped some change... Did you find pain? I... I think he's cleared out. Clothes and the bathroom stuff's all gone. He has? Well, he probably saw something. He didn't want to get mixed up in it. Well, we can always put out an alarm on him. Go home and get some sleep, Mark. Sure. I'll, I'll get some sleep. While I hung on, hung up, walked back into Payne's room. I looked down at him. Thought what a lousy time to make a mistake. Well, there's only one smart way out. I had to bring Candle Payne back to life long enough to be seen taking a run-out powder. I needed some good, reliable witnesses. That way, I could get away with murder. 
As I said before, Captain Knight, the cat waits for the mouse to run, the dog waits for the cat to run, and the police wait for the killer to run. Only I wasn't going to run. I stood there and tried to figure how to have Candle Payne seen running away. After that, Payne would be just another guy who got scared and beat it. And I'd still be Lieutenant Mark Deglin, the guy who didn't make mistakes. It took me a while, in the night and the rain, to do what I had to do. Quite a while. But I finally got to my own apartment. I still had Payne's kit bag with his name stenciled on the side, but I could get rid of that later. I tossed it on the floor behind my desk and went to sleep. When I got to headquarters the next morning, it was late. Payne's disappearance had the DA demanding we find him. Dan Riley was already out trying to trace Payne, and I could just imagine him bulldogging along from one witness to another. And then you said... Suppose you go up to Connecticut, Mark, and talk to Payne's girl, Morgan Taylor. Just routine. Just routine? Okay, I'll take care of it. I found where Morgan Taylor lived from the Greenwich Post Office. It was a low, rambling white house set back from a tree-lined road. The girl who answered my ring had dark hair that came down around her shoulders and wide gray eyes that were sure and young and lovely. Yes? You Miss Morgan Taylor? Yes, I am. I'm Lieutenant Mark Deglin of the New York Police. Oh? You know where I can find Kendall Payne? Oh, the silly fool. He said something about leaving last night, but I thought he was just being dramatic. When was this? Well, I... I went down to his place with him last night after we left the gambling club. I've been seeing a lot of Ken, but I just couldn't keep on. He was always getting into fights and picking arguments. So I told him I wouldn't see him anymore. That's when he said he'd leave. And that's the last time you saw him? Yes. But there's something else. Well, yes. It wasn't time for my train yet, so I walked around in the rain. Then I remembered that I had a date to meet Ken in town tonight, and I went back to tell him I wouldn't be there. But he wasn't in his room. I had no idea he'd really left. You think you might have gone back to the gambling club? Why do you ask that? Well, after you left the club last night, a man was killed. The man Payne had a fight with. And you think he ran away because of that? He might have. Ken was... Well, pretty neurotic. You in love with him? Oh? I'm very fond of Ken. But that's all, Lieutenant. But I'd hate to think that anything happened to him. You've no idea where he is now. If you'll wait a minute, I'll go with you. I was just getting ready to leave myself. He might show up to keep that date with me tonight at Morney's on Bleecker Street. We can wait for him there. <laughs> rode back to New York with me. And after the first few miles, we stopped talking about Kendall Payne and talked about ourselves. She was really a beautiful gal. And I kept glancing sideways at her profile. Maybe this case was going to turn out better than I thought. When we hit town, I called you, Captain Knight. Remember? I was doing, not, not mentioning what nice work it was turning into. Then Morgan and I went on to the restaurant. Since then, I've just played around, I guess. I know what you mean. Look, it's past eight, uh, Morgan. Uh, 
What time was Payne supposed to meet you? Seven? Yes. It looks as though I've been stood up. Well, he must be pretty scared to stand you up. If it were me, I'd risk even a murder rap to keep the date. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Want to take me to dinner? Well, it's a good thing you asked me. I was just about to put my handcuffs on you so you couldn't get away. <laughs> <laughs> I got into headquarters early next day. I just finished calling Morgan to say good morning and make a date for that night when the desk sergeant said that you wanted to see me. I went in and Riley was with you. Well, we got a couple of things on pain, Mark. We wanted you in on them. Sure. Dan, that was a nice job on Carlstrom. Mm -hmm. He was certainly a scared guy. You know, one thing about killers, they always make a break for it sooner or later. Yeah, most of them do. What's doing on pain, Knight? I'll let Riley tell it. It's his story. Uh, there's nothing much except I talked to a number of people who think they saw him. I got a couple of them outside. Might as well bring them in, Riley. Yeah, okay. Morning, Gold. Sure. This is Captain Knight and Lieutenant Gold? Deglin. Gold? I... The Gold is a cab driver. He got out of bed to come down and help us. Yeah, sure, Chief. Anything to help you guys out. Okay. Gold, tell him the story you told me. Yeah, sure. Well, like I said, I picked up this fare downtown last night about 1 o'clock big guy with a bandage over one eye. He's carrying one of those soldier kit bags, you know? Wanted to go to the station, Grand Central. He was in a bad temper. Now, take a look at these pictures. Uh, now, where did I put that other... Oh, here it is. Uh, well, uh, it might have been either one of these two. They, they, they look a little alike. Without the bandage, I couldn't swear which one. Okay, thanks, Gold. If we need you later, we'll call on you. Uh, sure, sure. Anytime, Chief. Anytime at all. Well, pretty close. One of the two was a picture of Payne. Who was the other one he thought looked like Payne? An old newspaper picture of you, Mark. Me? Yeah. You didn't know I collected all your publicity, did you? <laughs> It'd been funny if he just identified you. Yeah. Yeah, very funny. Who's your other witness, Riley? An old lady who lives in the house across the street from Payne's place. Will you come in now, Miss Meacham? Meacham, this is Captain Knight. How do you do, Mr. Meacham? How do you do? This is Lieutenant Deglin. Uh, Mrs. Meacham, Mark. I've seen you, Lieutenant. You have? Oh, yes. Oh, well, maybe it was when I was over to Payne's the other night, huh? Oh, no, I didn't mean there. In the papers. Oh. Your picture's been in the papers a lot. Yeah, I guess it has. Uh, Mrs. Meacham, Detective Riley tells me that you saw several things the other night. Things that puzzled you. They certainly did puzzle me, Captain. You see quite a few things in the neighborhood, Mrs. Meacham? Well, some say that's all I do. Well, I say when a body gets old like me, there ain't much left but looking. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Now, what did you see the other night, Mrs. Meacham? Let's see. Oh, that was night before last. Well, like I told Mr. Riley, I couldn't sleep. So I was up late and I saw Mr. Payne and his girl go in. But I didn't see her come out. You didn't see her come out? I made tea. Uh, might have missed her. I have to have my tea, you know. But I did see her go back in later. How much later? Oh, maybe half an hour. Or maybe more. But before she came back, somebody else left. Well, that must have been Payne. Well, I don't rightly know. He was wearing a bandage and was carrying his kit bag, but he didn't wave to me. Didn't wave to you? Oh, Mr. Payne always waved to me when he went out. So it was mighty funny he didn't that time. Well, maybe he just forgot. What happened after that? No, sir, he never forgot to wave. Oh, well, anyway, about 20 minutes later... 
Mr. Payne's girl came back. She stayed just a little while and then went away. That's very interesting, Mrs. Meacham. Is that all? Of course it is. And that was a lot for a neighborhood where nothing ever happened. Well, thank you very much, Mrs. Meacham. We'll call you if we need to talk to you again. Well, I won't remember any more than I have. Well, let's go, boys. Where are we going? I've been behind this desk so long, Mark, I'm getting calluses. I'm going over to Payne's room with you and Riley. The room was as I remembered it. Except there wasn't any body on the floor and the police technicians were there. Now, let's see now. The old lady says she saw the girl come in twice, but never saw her go out. Any other way out of here, Riley? Through the window. Let's take a look. You men through with this window? Yeah, all through, Captain. Found plenty of prints of some guy, probably this pain. A few prints of a small man or woman. Uh-huh. Let's look at this window. I stood watching. They weren't going to find anything looking out of the window. Maybe they'd see the pry marks in the wood and find the satchweights were missing. But that wouldn't mean a thing. Suddenly, Riley let go of the window and... Hey, watch watch it. it! It almost took my fingers off. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Hey, Al. The sash cords have been cut and the sash weights are missing. So what? Is that... Ah, I see what you mean, Dan. The river's near here, isn't it? That's what I was thinking. Okay. We'll call the harbor patrol and see what we get. So Riley had finally bulldogged into something. The walk down to the river was short. Shorter than the last time, it seemed. The police tug was stirring the mud of the river bottom with its grappling hook. When Payne's body finally came up, the dirty water cascaded from the blanket shroud and the sash weights dripped mud. Well, that's that, boys. Payne didn't run away at all. Somebody killed him. I think we can wrap this one up fast. How'd you figure that, Knight? Well, it's easy, Mark. The girl had a fight with him. She's the only one seen going in the other night. Her prints are on the window. She probably killed him, dressed up in his clothes, made it look like he was leaving, then came back and dumped the body. It's the girl, all right. But, Mo- but listen, this, this Taylor girl couldn't carry a big guy like that. Couldn't she? She was in the ambulance service overseas, Mark, and carried soldiers around. Civilians aren't any heavier. I'm putting out a pickup on the girl. Well, that's the way it was. I had an out, but it was the one out I didn't want. I didn't want the chair getting Morgan Taylor. Not when I wanted her. I'd have to fix it some way. I had to go home and think. Well, I hadn't been there long when... Morgan stood in the doorway, her eyes tired and frightened, her face white. She went past me without speaking and over to a chair. When she looked at me, I knew I was right. I had to find some way to save her. Mark, I just heard. They want me for the murder of Ken. I know, honey. Why did you come here? Why? Why, because... Where else would I go, Mark? But you're not forgetting that I'm a cop, too. If you want to take me in, Mark, I'll understand. I only want to take you one place, Morgan. And that's not headquarters. But I've got to take you in. Whatever you say, Mark. But I'll get you out, honey. You won't be in there long enough to remember even what it looks like.
After they booked her at headquarters, I went back to the apartment. I had to figure out some way to save her and myself. But first I had to get rid of that kit bag. If she'd seen it, everything would have been ruined. Besides, it was stupid to leave it around. Then, then I had an idea. There was one way out. That was to write this report to you, Captain Knight, and get out of the country. Then when she was freed, she could join me. She was worth running for. Only wouldn't really be running. I was walking away. Well, that's that. So long, Captain Knight. I won't be seeing you. I picked up the kit bag with Payne's name on the side, went down the steps. Hello, Mark. Riley, what? I think I got a lead on the girl, and I thought you'd want to be in on the kill. But I... I got her, Dan. I just turned her in. What? Well, where'd you find it? What's the bag? Mark? Oh, nothing, Dan. Nothing. I... Kendall uh... Payne. Mark. Look, I found it. Where? In... in his apartment. I was there yesterday, and we were all there today. Look, what's the matter? Do you think I'm lying? I... I don't know, Mark. Say... What time were you at Payne's the other night? Look, Dan, I got something to do. Look, we'll talk about this case later, huh? Wait a minute, Mark. That cab driver picked out your picture as well as Payne's. The old lady said she'd seen you. Maybe they knew what they were talking about. Listen. You weren't surprised when we found those sash weights gone or even when you saw Payne's body dragged out of the river. Oh, there's nothing worse than a cop who's turned bad. Mark. Get out of my way, Dan. Hey, hey, Mark, Mark. I had to run. Everything had been crowding in all day. That cab driver, the old lady, the kit bag. And now Riley, pushing in like a bulldog with his questions. I had to run and keep running. I had to get away before he could ask another question. Mark, don't run, Mark, don't! Ah, ah. Oh, you... You shouldn't have run, Mark. You know what happens. When a guy runs. Thank you, Ray Milan, for a splendid performance. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers present Suspense. Tonight, Autolite brings you After the Movies, a suspense play starring Mr. Ray Milland. I'd been called to jury duty a couple of weeks before all this happened, and it was one of those kind of sensational trials. And the judge told us jurors not to go out in any public places where we might be approached or influenced. So I'd been sticking pretty close to the hotel. So it was a real treat when they said we were free for a couple of days because the witness was sick. Of course, the movies is a public place, but Ann didn't think that would really count, and neither did I. We went to the early show across the street from the hotel and got out about half past nine. I thought she was darling. I didn't care so much for him, though. I didn't think she was too hot, either. Say, what's the difference, really? The first movie I've seen since the trial started. How about some ice cream? We got those little cakes at home. Some ice cream might go nice with them. I don't know if I can go home. I mean, this jury thing, oh, you Oh, you're know. free for a couple of days. Isn't that what they told you? 
not going to do any harm for you to sleep home tonight. I suppose not. What kind do you want? What? Ice cream. Chocolate. Come on. Well, well. Hello there. How are you this evening, folks? Yeah, Hello. fine. Just fine. What can I do for you? About a quart of ice cream, chocolate. Right. Say, how's the trial going? You're on the jury, aren't you? Yeah, but uh, I'm not supposed to talk about it. Oh, yeah. I should know better than to ask. Yeah, I bet you we have five, seven jurors a day come in here from the hotel across the street. Hey, you think you've been on this trial a long time? Some people stay on for months. Well... I'll tell you what I think about this Harmon fellow. I'm not supposed to let anybody talk to me about it either. Oh, say, that's right. I forgot about that. Well, that'll be 60 cents. Yeah, I got it, Ann. Now, what did I do with my wallet? No. Here. That's 60 out of one. And thank you. Well, I hope now that you know us, you'll trade here sometimes even after the trial's over. My name is Adelson. Well, I'm Mr. Bennig, and this is my wife, Ann. I'm happy to know you. I hope you'll be through with the thing real soon. I hope so, too. Good night. Al. Yeah. Look what I found. What? An envelope on the floor right here. Somebody dropped something, huh? Yeah. It's open, too. I wonder if we should, you know, to find the owner. Say. Money, bills. Hey, let me see. How much is there, Al? Al? How much, Al? $10,000. Huh? 10000 Who dropped $10,000 on the floor of a drugstore? In just a moment, Mr. Ray Milland in the first act of After the Movies. You mean the envelope was just laying there on the floor? I almost stepped on it, and then I picked it up, and I saw there was something in it. Al, what should we do? Gee, a thing like this, I I don't know what to say. If I was you, I'd keep it. That's what I'd do. And uh, since it was in my store... No, no, we couldn't do that. Well, I could. It ain't stealing. You found it. And it was my store you found it in. We better turn it in. Look, if there's a reward, uh, we'll get together on it, won't we? There's some kind of a note in it. Note? Yeah, in with the money. This is your first half as agreed in... No signature. Doesn't make much sense to me. Mm, me either. Hey! Hey, where are you going with that money? If anybody comes looking for it, we live on 5th Street, 229. If there's a reward, we'll see you get your share, Mr. Adelson. Come on in. Don't worry, Mr. Adelson. Don't worry? $10,000 is a lot of money. I said there was nothing to worry about, but I wasn't feeling quite as breezy as I sounded. $10,000 is an awful lot of money. Anne was still trying to figure it out when we got home. One thing I'd always said about Anne, she had a good mind. Now she remembered the note and she took off from there. Al, it must mean something. It was written to somebody. It must mean something to them. After all, it's $10,000. Let's get on with the ice cream. Look, Annie, if nobody claims it by tomorrow, we'll put an ad in the paper or something. It's not our worry. Yeah. Here, chocolate. We could keep it, couldn't we? I mean, the law says finders keepers. If nobody can prove it's theirs, we can keep it, can't we? 
Isn't there a law? Well, I guess as far as the law is concerned, we could keep it. Of course, we'd have to give part of it to Mr. Adelson. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Al. That money belongs to somebody. All right. If they claim it, all right. If they don't, well, all right. Why worry about it? It belongs to whoever that note was written to. Uh-huh. Now, listen, listen. This is your first half as agreed in the E.H. business. But if they are not hung up when the time comes, don't expect to get the rest or stay healthy very long. No signature. No signature. Al, that last part about staying healthy, that's a threat. That's what it is. Threat? Well, yeah, it could be. The man who's giving the money is threatening the man who's getting it, that if he doesn't... Doesn't what? Al, don't be so dense. Help me a little. Doesn't do what they're paying him to do. It's a bribe. Don't you see, Al? This money is a bribe. A bribe? Hey, that's right, Annie. You could be right at that. Well, now we're getting somewhere. All right, a bribe. And it has something to do with something being hung up. If they are not hung up when the time comes, it says. What could be hung up that's so important to anybody? Jury. That's it, a jury that can't reach a verdict. Al, I'll bet that's it. Somebody is trying to bribe somebody on a jury to... To what? Al, those initials, E.H., Edward Harmon, the name of the man that's on trial. The jury that you're on. Gee, I don't know, Anne. They all seem like such nice, decent people. Yeah, but listen, listen. This is your first half, the $10,000, as agreed in the E.H., that is the Edward Harmon business. But if they are not hung up as a jury, don't expect to stay healthy. Yeah. Yeah, it does make sense, Annie. Now, now we've got to call the police. Police? Well, sure, we've got to report it right away. Well, maybe I should give it the district attorney in the morning. No, don't you see, Al? You're on that jury. Why, if we delay telling them for even a, an hour, they may think you've got something to hide. No, I think I'd better wait till the morning. If you don't phone them, I will right away now. Well, I hope you're right. I hope this is the right thing to do. My name is uh, Albert H. Benig. That's right. I live at 229 Fifth Street. I want to report something to you. There's a drugstore on the corner across the street from the courthouse. And my wife and I were in there earlier this evening, and my wife found something. Yeah. Well, on the floor. It was an envelope with $10,000 in it and a note. And we think it has something to do with the Edward Harmon trial. Yeah. No, just my wife. Yeah, she's sitting right here with me. Yeah, that's what I think. You'd be doing me a great favor if you'd... Yes, we'd wait right here. We'll be expecting you. What did they say? They said they'd send somebody up just as soon as they could. Well, weren't they excited about it? Didn't they say anything? Well, Ann, I guess with people like that, these things are just sort of routine. That must be them now, Al. I'll go. I must say they took their time about it. Oh, good evening, gentlemen. Come in. Thanks. You're Mr. Pennig, Albert H. Pennig. That's right. This is my wife. How do you do? No, how do you do? I, I sort of expected to see someone in uniform. I should have known, I suppose. Uniform? 
Yes, you gentlemen are from the police, aren't you? Uh, no. No, we're not. Oh? You expecting the police, lady? Yes, we were. Better not take too much time, Johnny. I think you people got something that belongs to us. Something you found in the drugstore in the corner. Oh. We lost it there. Druggist told us you had it. Well, we did find something, yes. Ten grand and five hundred in a white envelope. Well, I guess it's theirs all right, Anne. Yes, but... But what? Well, I'm sure it's yours, but there was something else, too. We better just give it to him, Anne. The note. I always said that was foolish. There was a note. Yes. You read it? We glanced through it, of course. We thought it might tell us who the money belonged to. And it did, didn't it? No, oh, no. Come on, lady. Now, wait a minute. This is a gun, man. The note told you that the dough was to buy off somebody on the jury of the Harmon trial, didn't it? You talk too much, Johnny. Come on, let's get out of here. What's the difference? Use your head. All right, what about it, Mrs. Benning? How did you know it was in the note? We got to know these things. We work for Mr. Harmon. We know you're on the jury, too, Mr. Benning. Al. Where are you from, Mrs. Benning? I mean, where do you folks live? What part of the country? Why, Washington. Spokane, Washington. All right. Mr. Benny, you go on down that trial tomorrow. Just don't nothing had happened. Anybody asks you about your wife, you tell them she's gone on a little visit to her folks in Spokane. Visit to my folks? The case will go to the jury on Friday. If everything goes like it should, your wife will be back here safe and sound. First thing Monday morning. Oh, good Lord. But you can't do a thing like this. You can't. Be reasonable, Mrs. Bennick. We gotta. You people know too much about this thing. Well, we wouldn't say anything. I promise. I swear it. Now, how can we take a chance like that? Armin is up for murder. Better get your things together, Mrs. Bennick. Go with us, Sam. We ain't got all night, though. I'll take the money, Mr. Bennick, before I forget it. Thanks. I hope you understand our position. What are you going to do? Well, obviously, the money went to the wrong party. So we got to use another method. If everything goes like it should on that jury, your wife will be okay. But if it doesn't... You can't. You can't do that. Oh, but we can. Saves us a lot of money, too. And, Mr. Bennig, not a word to the authorities. Your wife would make a cute corpse. Autolite is bringing you Mr. Ray Milland in After the Movies. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. After they left, I just sat there. Maybe another guy would have rushed right off and done something. But I couldn't. I had to think. It had all happened so suddenly, in less than an hour, the whole thing. And picking up the money on the floor at the drugstore and then figuring out from the note that it was a bribe to someone on the jury of the Harmon trial. The jury I was on. And those gangsters arriving and claiming the money and taking Anne as a hostage for my verdict. The police hadn't arrived. I left home, sneaked out the back way, took the side streets, and went to the office of the chief of detectives. 
So you came down here. What are we sitting here for? Why don't we do something? Well, we got to know what we're doing before we start doing it. Anyway, from what you told me, I don't think she'll be in any real danger. No real danger? She's been kidnapped by gangsters. But why? That's what doesn't make sense to me yet. I told you, the money was some kind of a bribe. They thought we knew about it. But you didn't. How could we? Ann just picked up the money off the floor and... They said that they'd have her back by Monday? That's what they said. You can believe them if you want to, but she's my wife. Okay, okay. Um, what do these two cookies look like? I don't know. Average size, dark, I think. I, I, I don't remember what they look like. Did you catch their name? I didn't ask them. <laughs> You're not going to be much help for a while, are you? Okay, it's all right. Um, by the way, my name's Dan. Oh, oh. Mine's Al. You'll probably be seeing quite a lot of me in the next day or two, so we might as well get acquainted. And, uh, Al. Yeah. Take it easy. We'll find your wife. His being friendly like that made me feel a lot better. But we still weren't doing anything. First, to get out a lot of pictures, and I had to go through all those. But, of course, I couldn't recognize anybody, and then he started making phone calls. That didn't make much sense to me either, except that he figured they might have a stolen car, and he was trying to check on it. Finally, he called a police car, and we drove back toward the courthouse. It was 12 o'clock, but Mr. Adelson hadn't left the store. He was anxious enough to talk, but it didn't look as though he was going to get us any place. I tell you, Lieutenant, it was right there on the floor. Right there. Yeah, but when you talked to these two men... Oh, yes. Well, I talked to them. Uh, the one, that is. And he said he'd lost an envelope, he thought, in my store. And yeah. I said, yes, we'd found it, and Mr. Bennick had it. So you talked to him. What did yeah. they look like? Well, now, how can I know what they looked like when they called me on the telephone? Okay. I guess that's all, Mr. Adelson. I'm sorry, Lieutenant. I, I wish I could help that's you. That's perfectly all right. But if there's anything else... That you we'll think... call you. Hey, hey, Mr. Bennick. Yeah. Did you tell him about the note? Note? Yeah, the note that was in with the money. So there was a note? Sure. In with the money. Wasn't it, Mr. Bennick? Well, what about it, Al? Well, I, I'm sorry. I, I guess I forgot. We drove back to Fifth Street and parked in front of our apartment. Dan didn't say a word until we got into the elevator. And then he spoke to the elevator boy, not to me. You take Mrs. Bennig and a couple of men down tonight about 10.30. Yeah, that's right. Police? Mm-hmm. What'd they look like? Well, I couldn't really tell you. They had their hats pulled down, sort of. One was tall and the other was short. That's about all I noticed. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah? This. Tall one had kind of a limp. He had a cane. A limp, huh? You hear any names? Yeah, and now that you speak of it, the short one called the tall one Johnny. Funny, I didn't think of it. The tall one and the short one, and the tall one's name was Johnny, and he had a limp. But that breaks the case wide open, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll see that you get a citation. We got off at my floor, and I opened up the apartment, and we went in. He still didn't say anything. He prowled around the apartment, poking into bureaus and closets for not saying a word. Then he came out in the living room and sat down in the big armchair and looked straight at me. All right, Al. What about the note? Well, I, I'm sorry, Dan. I didn't think it was important. You're not sore, are you? Me? What have I got to be sore about it? Your wife. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sorry. Now, what about the note? Well, all it said was something like, this is the first half as we agreed and no signature. Have you got it? No. Nope. They took it when they took the money. 
And you couldn't remember that one was a tall guy and the other was a short guy and that the tall guy's name was Johnny. But I was all upset. I didn't even know if I heard his name. Are you trying to protect her, Al? No, no. I've told you everything I can. <sighs> okay, forget it. And let's see. A bribe. That means that somebody wants something or is on the spot. The fix will be on by Monday, they say. Now, who is there in this town that employs gunsels that would have a deal with that much dough set for next Monday? Oh, there could be a million deals like that. Quiet, let me think a minute, will you? Johnny, a cane, and a short guy. It's on the tip of my tongue. And it wasn't so long ago, either. Sure, sure. Why didn't I think of it? Think of what? Bill Quinlan, the defense lawyer in the Harmon case. Those are his boys. Had him up a dozen times. He always comes and gets him off. The Harmon trial? Yeah, this Harmon is up on a murder rap. A bank robbery, a guard was killed. His lawyer is Bill Quinlan. Quinlan's bribed more juries than I got hairs on my head, if you could ever prove it. Get a couple of hung juries and they let you off the hook. He's pulled it plenty of times. Well, isn't that a little far-fetched? That's like I say, Al. It's all we've got. I'll have the boys check the jury list anyway. Where's your phone? In there. Uh, Dan. Yeah. Dan, uh, I'm on that jury. You what? Well, don't you see? If I opened my mouth, they'd kill her. They told me so. So that's it. I didn't dare tell you, Dan. I hoped you'd find her Why, without... Why, you long-legged, thick-headed idiot. Don't you think I've been in this business long enough to know it a little better than you do? Don't you think I know how to give people protection when I have to? Do you think we go around trying to get people killed? Do you know any more that you haven't told me? No. You know who the juror is they're trying to bribe? Nope. Yeah, okay. At least now we know where to start looking. Dan. Yeah? You're not sore at me, are you? Me? No. What have I got to be sore about? We knew where to start looking, but it wasn't as easy as that. I was still on the jury, of course, and they didn't dare make a move against Harmon because of Anne. The case went to the jury Friday, and there was still no word of her. And, of course, I had to vote not guilty. They understood that. But as it turned out, the vote was eight to four, so it didn't really matter. With a hung jury, Harmon was scheduled for a new trial anyway. By now, it was Monday. The day Anne was supposed to return. But there was no word. What if they'd found out the police knew I was on the jury? It was nearly midnight when Dan came to the apartment. He looked as though he hadn't slept for three days. I hadn't either. He told me to come along with him. He didn't say much until we were way down on Avenue C in the Lower East Side. Don't let it get out, fella, but I think we're going to come out all right. When did you find out? About an hour ago. We trailed Harmon. That's why he got bail. Dan, don't kid me. Are you sure that she's... As sure as we can be. We know where they are. She'll be there. Now, that's the place, third house down. Ellis, you and Wilson stake out the back. Farley, Edwards, take the front. I'm going in. All right, get going. Dan. Yeah? I want to go with you. Oh, no, you stay in the car. I'm going with you. Okay, come on. Now, let's go. Now, there's a light in the front. They may give us a little reception, Al. They wouldn't do anything to her. Would they, Dan? I'll try the door. Yeah, it's locked. Can we bust it open? I got a skeleton. Close it behind you so the street light won't show us up. 
Okay. They're coming. Now, those are my boys. Let's try and hear. I don't think anybody's around. Maybe they took us someplace else. Shh. Quiet. No, Al. You better stay out. Why? What is it? What is it? It's her, Al. Your wife. She is dead. was dead. And the next day there was the funeral. A lot of friends came around and shook hands and looked at me sad. And I stood by where she was lying with all the flowers around her. This wasn't the way it was supposed to work out. Dan came too. For a long time he stood there, looking at her and my friends and me. You called them, didn't you? I called them? Yeah. You called them and she thought you were calling the police. That's why the police never showed up. I called them. She was so insistent I had to call somebody. I didn't think they'd take her away. I thought they'd just take the money and leave, forget the whole thing. But they took her too. What about the money? The money they paid me for the trial? Mm, the money for the trial, the $10,000. I told you. They took it. They took the money and they... And they took her. All except $500. I kept that in my pocket. They didn't get that. That's what I paid for the funeral with. I know. We had the numbers of the bills when we picked them up later last night. They had it all except $500. That's what brought me back to you. It's funny. I did it for her. To buy her nice things. And all I bought her was a funeral. Say goodbye, Al. You'll have to come with me. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy show. We feature old time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R I L E Y. And Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. 
So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.